0: Right. Well, welcome for me as well. It's uh, and for those of you who come regularly, I uh, might be uh, wondering where I've been. Sam mentioned uh, actually. I think the last like few weeks he's been saying Brandon will be here next week. Today I want to make him a man of his word. He said it last week. I'm actually here this time. Uh, it was uh, an interesting time of sickness and quarantine for me and my family, and it's good to be back. It's good to be back here with you guys. And today we're going to be continuing in our series from the mount. As I've said a few times, we're making our way through the sermon on the mount slowly. We can kind of break it down into these different sections. We want to absorb all that God has to say in this sermon, even though it is incredibly challenging at times and sometimes it's going to rub us in ways that's going to make us uncomfortable. Hopefully it's going to be in ways that also helps us to grow and uh, we want to remember that these are the words of Jesus Christ, and they have power, they have authority for us in our life today. And uh, so if you have been kind of paying attention, following along with us, uh, either here, coming to the service, or watching online, uh, you might have noticed that we skipped this section uh, that we were going through now, kind of uh, we're jumping backwards from where we were last week, kind of just seems like uh, nobody really wanted to preach on this text, so I uh, just, no, I'm just kidding. Although uh, it is a difficult and challenging text and uh, it kind of worked out that it's fallen to me to preach on this and let me just say that I'm challenged. I'm challenged to preach on this text. It's a, it is definitely one that makes you think, what does he mean? What's going on here and how do we apply this to our life? And uh, it's one that I don't want to take lightly and I would hope that none of you do either. We want to take this to heart and look at what it really means. It's dealing with a sensitive topic. And one that I believe is often forgotten or pushed to the side in our modern culture. It's a topic that needs to be addressed and adapted to our Christian life today. We don't want this to be something we push aside. We want to bring this into our life. The text begins with the topic of adultery. With the the topic of adultery, which is the sin of cheating on your spouse. The sin of cheating on your spouse. But... As we've seen in the last few weeks, if you've been paying attention, kind of looking at some of the patterns we're seeing and how Jesus is preaching and how he's teaching and unpacking things, Jesus talks, takes basically uh, what we're looking at right now, in these, we're kind of looking at these uh, the sections that we're going through right now, we see these kind of principles of the law that Jesus kind of shows us the truth of the law at its deepest level. He kind of brings it down to its deepest level. He's unpacking it to the very root of what the sin is in that law, down to the level of the heart, looking at the heart issue of it, and Jesus is going to expound on this idea of adultery into the realm of lust, and as we'll see, this is also going to apply to other areas of our life that we might have wrong or uh, sinful desires of, and for some of you, this is to- this topic is. Uh, Maybe something that's very real to you. Something that you've struggled with in your life in one way or another. But whatever you're coming from when you walked in today. Maybe you think, no, this is, this is a topic that doesn't really apply to me. I don't really need to pay attention. Whatever you're kind of coming in with today, I want to encourage you to really kind of latch on. We want to understand what this text means. What it's saying to us. And have a better sense of the tools that we have to fight against lust, to fight against wrong or evil desires in our heart, and also to help those who might be struggling with us, struggling with this uh, greater, or their struggle with it might be greater than our own. And so maybe if you even, if it isn't something or that you have struggled with, but you're not anymore, we want to really grab hold of those tools to help those who might still be struggling with it. Amen? You guys with me so far? Yeah. Yeah. Remember, that's, that's me. I'm the one who kind of makes sure that you guys are still awake out there. Um, also, yeah, so we want to be helping other people. So let's, let's go ahead and just start unpacking the text. Uh, I want to begin by reading the first verse again, verse 27, if you want to read along with me. five twenty-seven. You have heard that it, is, that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Pretty straightforward. You've heard, we've kind of been going through these, you have heard statements that Jesus has been giving. First, he lays down what they already know. These were teachers of the law that he's kind of mostly addressing this to. They know the law. They knew that adultery was wrong. Most would agree with that. Even those today that have no biblical background, no biblical understanding, if you ask them what they think, is adultery wrong? Is it wrong to cheat on your spouse? They probably say, yeah, adultery, a bad thing. I don't want to be cheated on. I certainly wouldn't want to cheat on somebody that I care about. Generally, there might be a a consensus that adultery is wrong. The problem is that even though they knew and would agree that adultery was sin, that it was wrong, they were completely neglecting to consider the issue of the heart, the deep, the root of the sin. And yes, we can think that our actions do reflect on who we are. It does come down to what we actually do. But Jesus' whole point in the last few passages is that those actions, those actions are the result of something. They began somewhere. They're the result of something. And we saw this in the connection, and uh, this would have been, you know, the week before if we had kind of been uh, not skipping so much. But if you look back to when he talks about unforgiveness and hatred, anger, he equates that with murder. Something that we would put pretty distant from one another, I think, in our minds. Sure, I mean, it's not good to hate people. It's not good to be angry. It's not good to have unforgiveness. But murder? Murder is something horrific and horrible. We would put that pretty far away. But the point then, as Jesus was making then, and the point today with our text we're looking at, is that these are the end result of something that the end of results of something, something that began as something else and grew. The reality is that each and every one of us in our sinful nature, in our humanity, are capable of great sin, are capable of great sin, whether it's adultery or even to murder. And most of us say, no way, I could never imagine doing that. But when we look at many examples throughout history, Humans are capable of horrendous things when the circumstances are right. We need to get down to the core, get down to the root, get down to the heart issue of sin and battle it there. One does not cheat on their spouse out of the blue. I, I, for the most part, I, maybe there's a, there might be an exception to that. I would imagine most people, it's not like you know, they're in a happy marriage, everything's going great, and they wake up one day and think, you know what, I'm going to go find someone else to sleep with tonight. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't come out of the blue. It's like the flower of a weed, right? It's like the flower of a weed. And that flower only came into bloom because a seed that took root and was allowed to grow in the heart. It was allowed to grow to the point of blooming, We need to understand how to get to the root, how to fight sin where it begins, before it blooms, before it gets to that point, before it goes too far. We need to fight it at the root. We need to fight it in the heart. How do we get to the heart? Well, let's go to the next verse, verse 28, 528. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he gets to the heart You've already done the sin. You've already committed it in your heart. The core of the issue, where the sin of adultery begins. The sin of adultery begins in the heart. With what we're thinking on, what we're meditating on. What we're lusting after. Now, I do think we need to note, Jesus is not saying the two are one and the same. He's not saying that the two are one and the same right? Lusting after someone who is not your spouse and the act of adultery are not equal to one another. They're not equal to one another on a lot of levels. I think we could probably all agree on that. One certainly produces substantially more damage than the other. One of them is much more damaging than the other. The point is, is that they have the same root. They have the same root. And if you are willing to look at someone else, who's not your spouse, with lust in your heart, at the heart level, you're just as willing to commit the act. That's what Jesus is saying. It's the same root. One of them might have just grown up a little bit taller than the other, but somebody who's, well, the reality is, is that the biggest difference, I think, is just a fear of consequence, is a fear of consequence. They have the same root. And if we removed all possible consequences, if we made the path completely clear, a man who is willing to look at pornography, a man who is willing to look at another woman with lust in his heart, is just as willing to commit the act of adultery. It is not enough to merely avoid the consequences of cheating on your spouse. That's what Jesus is saying. You've heard, don't commit adultery. Well, I haven't done that, at least not physically, but in my mind, I have. He's saying, well, then you're missing the point. You're missing the point. It's not enough to merely avoid the consequences of cheating on your spouse when in your heart, you desire to through lusting after someone else. That's where we see them come together. Obviously, one has more consequences, but if you're simply avoiding the consequences, you're missing the point. Now, lest you, again, as I said, I think there's more that we can expound, kind of uh, bring into this, lest you think that this doesn't apply to you. Let me show you that this word lust can really be kind of expanded to more than just sexual desire. In English, it's usually only equated with that, but The word that's used there, actually, it can be good or bad. It can be good or bad, and it really comes down to desire. It's the same word that's used to translate sometimes as covet, to covet something, to desire things. It's to set your heart towards something, to long for something. And that means that we can lust after or have inappropriate desire for things other than sexual desire for someone who is not your spouse. We can definitely expound on that. So here's a quote I found. This principle applies to much more than men looking at women. It applies to just about anything we can covet with the eye or mind. These are the most searching words concerning impurity that ever were uttered. It's a pretty powerful quote. The Bible talks about Lusting after money, coveting money, coveting things, even clothing is mentioned. So, when we get to the application, you can extend this into other areas of your life. Look into your own heart. Maybe you're not struggling with sexual lust. Maybe that's not something that is a huge burden or kind of struggle in your life, but you do struggle with coveting things a newer car, nicer clothes, nicer things. Or, and I want to add this in, a man. And I mean that maybe you're not struggling with lusting after a man, but you are coveting the idea of having a man in your life in a way that's inappropriate. And it's, it's putting, you're putting that before God in your life, putting that before Christ in your life. So even if it's not sexual, you can still have a lust in your heart. In fact, in the Old Testament, when it talks about coveting as a sin that we shouldn't covet, it brings these two in together that we shouldn't covet our neighbor's things or his wife, right? So in, in all aspects, we see that same word, it's the same sin of coveting or lusting. And the truth is that every single one of us have, I think, struggled with this in one way or another. I was actually convicted, I'll, I'll confess with you, uh, that just yesterday I was confessing to a friend that I I really caught myself coveting a new iPhone, I have an an iPhone, I like it, it's all right, you know, it's not an advertisement, maybe we'll take that off YouTube, Um, and, but I was like really wanting, uh, like this kind of unhealthy desire to have the new one, you know, I mean the way their website is set up, it's really like, you know, plays against you, you know, you can compare like yours, like what you have compared to the new one, and it shows you everything that's better, and I was like, oh, I really want that, and I was like, you know what, that's, man, and it started to feel like, this is sinful, I want this in a wrong way, that's coveting, it's not right. So we want to check our hearts, not just when it comes to sexual lust, but also coveting anything that we want in an unhealthy way. And so, yes, yeah, sin, the sinfulness of lust can, in our hearts can be for all sorts of things. So I do hope that all of you are paying close attention today, especially when we get down to the application of how to root this out of our life. How to begin to root this out of our life. Because when we consider the application that Jesus gives us, right, taking our eye out, cutting off our hand, we can be certain that this is to be taken seriously. It's to be taken seriously. It is a sin that must be battled fiercely. It must be battled fiercely. And we are going to look at this and look at the ways in which that we can actively battle this sin with the tools given to us through Jesus Christ, and the word of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to battle this fiercely. And it is important to note that the context here is obviously focusing on idolatry, adultery, adultery. Let's say that too many times and you get a little confused there. It's focusing on that. And so we want to keep that in mind. And I know, I mentioned that because I know that most of you are not married. Or, I don't know, maybe maybe you're all married and I just... You didn't tell me, didn't invite me to the weddings. I assume most of you aren't married. And so maybe it isn't that you have struggled with lust for someone other than your spouse, but you have struggled with lust after someone who is not your spouse. Whether it's fantasizing about a girl or a guy walking down the street, or what you watch when you're alone on your computer. Sexual lust, whether you are married or not, is something that needs to be driven out of your life. Any inappropriate sexual desire meditated on in your mind over anyone who is not your spouse is sin. That's it. But we can, however, I think, distinguish between temptation to sin and the sin in our heart. This word translated lust, as I mentioned, in English it has a very negative connotation, uh, but it can also be used for good desires. And so when we think about this, we also want to broaden that to the full spectrum of what's going on here. It is a good thing to have sexual attraction and desire for your wife or your husband. It's a good thing. (laughs) It's a good gift of the Lord. The Bible is very vivid about this, and Sam actually talked about it a bit when he went through uh, the topic of divorce it's, it's kind of a, a need. I mean, you, you need to be attracted to your spouse. It's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. And I mean, if you want to, to look at, like, read through Song of Solomon, it gets pretty vivid in there about uh, just sexual desire and that it's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. It's a beautiful thing. And so we want to keep that in mind. It's a good thing. It's a, and he who finds a wife finds a good thing. So we want that. The desire itself is not wrong. And as a part of God's gift... We have sexual attraction. It's also a part of our nature. It's been corrupted because of sin and twisted in all sorts of wrong ways by our culture and our society. But in its purest form, it's a good thing, especially in the context of God's design. And this means that it's in our nature to notice beauty. And it's not a sin to notice an attractive person in their attractiveness. It's kind of hard not to, I think, in in our human nature. But what we meditate on, what we meditate on, what we allow to circle through our minds over and over again, that's a choice. That's a choice. Attractive person walks by, it's, it's not sin to notice that. But if you then take that and then rerun it through your mind and it starts to become a little bit inappropriate and then more inappropriate... And it becomes this fantasy that you're dwelling on. It's sin. We can sin simply by what we choose to think and dwell on in our minds. We all have these kind of passing thoughts. Sometimes we are like, I don't even sure. I'm not sure where that thought came from. I hope it wasn't for me. I don't even know. Like things can just pop in our head. And when they do, when they do, you can choose whether you meditate on it or not. Whether you choose to continue to think on it is a choice. It's a choice. It's your choice. You can cast it out. And when it becomes sin is when we dwell on them in an inappropriate way, which, again, leads to fantasizing about someone sexually. And we can cast that out, and we need to fight that with seriousness and fierceness. That's what Jesus is saying here. Let's look at what he tells us to do. Verse 29 through 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right eye, sorry, and if your right hand causes you to stumble or to sin, depending on the translation, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to to go into hell. What do we do with that text what do we do with that text if we find ourselves in sin if we find ourselves lusting should we head to the kitchen got some knives out back there grab the sharpest one start cutting you can ask your neighbor to help you if you need what do we do with this now unfortunately there are those throughout history who have taken this literally there were even certain sects that uh, would castrate themselves to battle the sin of lust. But Jesus is not being literal. He's not being literal. So everybody take a breath. Oh, thank God. He's not being literal. It's hyperbole. It's meant to grab your attention and to almost feel grotesque when we think about the image of someone cutting out their own eye, cutting off their own hand. Ooh, It's cringing. And it's supposed to be. To help us to understand and to feel the weight of this sin. To feel the seriousness of how dangerous this sin can be. Now how do I know? How do we know that we aren't meant to take this literally? How do I know that we shouldn't just hand out some knives and, you know, go to town? Start cutting things off? Well, we can simply ask the question, does that really solve the problem? Would it solve the problem? If I cut out my eye, can I still lust? Of course. One eye still have the other eye. But what if I cut out both eyes? Of course. I still have my mind. I can still think. I can still sin in my heart. And that's how we know that it's not meant to be taken literal because of the premise that Jesus Himself sets. If you have committed this sin, you've done it in your heart. In your heart, your heart is the issue. Jesus is bringing this down to the deepest level that it's a matter of the heart. Cutting your hand off, cutting your eye out won't solve the problem in itself. Thus, Jesus must be trying to say something else. And I think in addition to, I mean, certainly it's a part of it, in addition to just trying to grab our attention, show us the seriousness of this sin, there is a practical application pointing to how we deal with With the sin of our heart. How we deal with it. How we understand it. How we view it. And how we fight it fiercely. Gouging out your eye is not going to save you from hell. It's not going to save you from hell. But it does open a discussion. What do we allow to enter into our hearts? What are we allowing to enter into our hearts? What seeds are we... Allowing to be planted with what we do with our hands or what we look at with our eyes or where we go with our feet. I mention that because later in Matthew, he also uses the same uh, point with cutting hands off and gouging eyes out, but he also adds cutting off your foot. What seeds are we allowing to be planted with what we do with our hands what we see with our eyes where we go with our feet there are things that need to be rooted out and that's going to look different to each of us it's going to look different to each of us i'm reminded of the rich young ruler if you're not familiar with the story uh, i'll just kind of give you a little bit of what's going on here a rich young ruler comes to jesus and uh, pretty boldly and i would say somewhat arrogantly uh, he wants to know how to be saved he wants to know how to be saved. He, he seems to genuinely want that. He genuinely wants to know what he must do to be saved. So he comes to Jesus and asks him, because he's heard the truth. He's heard what the what Jesus has been preaching. It sounds good. He wants to know basically what do I need to do to be a Christian. He calls Jesus good teacher. I want you to catch this. I find that really fascinating. He calls Jesus good teacher, to which Jesus replies, there are none who are good. Why do you call me good? There are none who are good. And then Jesus asks him, have you obeyed the law? Have you obeyed the law? Have you kept the commands? When what is he really asking him? Are you good? To which the rich young ruler, kind of ironically, replies, yes. Even though Jesus just said there are none who are good, He's like, well, you obviously haven't met me. I'm good. I'm the one. What's what's going on here? Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's wrong with his heart. And he doesn't seem to see it, but Jesus does. And Jesus, being Jesus, pinpoints what this young man is missing with one simple command. He tells him, go sell your possessions. Give them to the poor. Come follow me all you need to do now we know that not everybody needs to sell everything in order to be saved amen <laughs> it's like okay i was wondering where this was going we know that there's nothing you can do in yourself you can't sell your stuff you can't cut out your eye you can't cut off your hand to go to heaven that's not how it works we're saved by grace it's not through what we do so we know that that can't be what is being is what is meant here it's not meant to be taken literally because we can't literally apply it, can't be literally applied to everybody. Not everybody could go and sell their stuff to be saved. So why does Jesus say it to this man? Because Jesus knew that he may have technically been obeying the law. Maybe he didn't steal from his neighbor. Maybe he didn't cheat on his wife. Maybe he hadn't taken the Lord's name in vain. But there was something wrong in his heart. There was something wrong in his heart. In his heart, he loved and trusted more in his possessions than he did in God. He did not love the Lord with all of his heart. Maybe he thought he did. But we see that he didn't. When Jesus asked him, get rid of your stuff. I can't do it. can't do it. Love it too much. What do we love too much? What sin are we unwilling to let go of? What thing in our life are we willing to surrender and sacrifice? See, this meant for him, this was the way of salvation, to get rid of his stuff. Because it was the catalyst for his sin. It was the seed in his heart, the root that was allowed to grow in his life. This is... This was the means by which the enemy was planting the seeds of sin in his heart. His love of money, his love of his stuff. Something needed to be cut out of his life. He needed to take the knife and cut something out of his life. Not his eye or his hand, but his money because he loved it too much. We sin because we love that sin and we're often not willing to sacrifice it. Jesus gives us this extreme example. Something needing to be cut. Something needed to be cut from his life. And I ask you, what needs to be cut from yours? What needs to be cut from yours? We don't need to go to the extreme. We see here with Jesus, with with this willingness to cut out your own eye, cut off your own hand, cut off your own foot. So, The question then becomes, before you go to the kitchen and grab a sharp knife, are there things in your life that have become avenues for the devil to plant seeds of sin in your heart that could be cut? Are there things that you could cut in your life? And the best way, think about this, the best way to win a war is to control the supply lines, where things are coming in. I think of the Germans, those of you, you guys Germans here, during the Second World War, they were a huge nuisance because of their submarines. But they were onto something. They knew it's a lot easier to destroy a ship full of troops with one torpedo, or a couple maybe, than to battle them on the land. We need to find the ways in which the devil is using to plant seeds that have the potential to grow into something much worse. We need to stop it before it gets to a a battle that we can't win or have a lot harder time winning. We need to see the sin of our heart not as insignificant, but holding all the destructive power that it can produce when allowed to fester and grow, to bloom. Lust leading to adultery, anger, hatred, unforgiveness leading to murder, we need to see it for all that it can become and snuff it out while it's small. I think of a lion when it stalks its prey, crouching, making itself small to feel like it's further away, to avoid attention, to be unseen, to be unnoticed. We can remember that we have an enemy who is like a lion, prowling, looking for whom he can devour making himself small, seem insignificant. Sin is in our flesh because we're born into a sinful world. And we've been given authority when we belong to Christ. We've been given authority by the power of Jesus Christ to overcome sin. But we need to battle it when it's small rather than waiting until it's right on us, pouncing upon us. If we look at the over in the corner of the room and we think, that lion is, he's just laying over there. He's not, he's not going to bother me. Like a, like a house cat. It's just a little lustful thought. So what if I can't forgive someone? So what if I look at pornography sometimes? It's not really hurting anybody. It's just this little thing resting. And then the lion gets closer and closer until it pounces upon us. When it has you in its hold, suddenly you don't feel like you're in control anymore. You feel a bit powerless. You thought it was just some small thing in your life, and suddenly it has you in its grasp. Jesus is saying, wake up. Wake up. Don't wait until it has its teeth sinking into your side. You need to be willing to gouge out your own eye, lest you give power to sin in your life. This is a willingness to die to self, to die to self, to crucify ourselves, to follow Christ, take up our cross and follow Christ, to sacrifice something in order to be obedient to Christ because he is of greater value because we desire, our desire for him is greater than our desire for anything else, anything that sin can give us, anything that the world can offer us no matter what the pleasure is, no matter what the allure is, it's never enough. It's not good enough because we desire Christ. That's what we need to be willing to do, to sacrifice in order to be obedient to Christ. So many are unwilling to let things go, to give things up in the fight against sin. And most and many Christians never get beyond a vague wish just be better oh I wish I was better oh I wish I could do better well I wish I didn't struggle with this so much we need to get beyond that we need to get beyond a vague wish to be better some of you here today have a real struggle with some of the things that we're talking about when it comes in in all areas of the realm of lust and coveting and I ask you do you have simply a vague wish a thin hope to be a little bit better? Or are you really ready to do something? Are you ready to do something, to make a change, to sacrifice if necessary? Are you willing to sacrifice even something you like? Because it is also creating an avenue that is leading you to sin, like the rich man's wealth. Wealth isn't evil in itself, but for him, it was. It was a catalyst. It led to a wrong understanding of God and a trust in money rather than a desire to know God. Maybe it's your smartphone. Maybe it's your iPhone (laughs) or any other brand of phone. Again, I'm not doing an advertisement here. A lot of good things you can do with a phone. A lot of good things. But if it also is leading you to sin, not worth it. Not worth it. Get rid of it. You can talk to Jonas. He knows probably where to get a good flip phone for you. So what are some practical ways to fight this, to fight lust? Number one, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. I want to read through this. I'm going to jump around a bit. I'm, as from Galatians 5. Uh, I'll read from verse 16 to 25, but I'm going to jump a bit so, starting at verse 16, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are under the law. You are not under the law, sorry. <laughs> Big difference. Big difference. You are not under the law. So you can't do both. You can't can't be living to, to gratify the flesh and be walking in the spirit. You gotta choose each moment, each day. How am I using my time? What am I looking at? What am I choosing to do with my hands? Where am I choosing to go? Am I walking by the spirit? Am I walking in the spirit? Am I glorifying God? Is God my desire in this action? Or am I just living to gratify the flesh? You can't do both. They're in conflict with one another. They're battling each other. So walk by the spirit and you're not gonna gratify the desires of the flesh. Let me jump down to verse 24. So Galatians 5, verse 24 and 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires since we live by the spirit Let us keep in step with the Spirit. We have to crucify it. That's a brutal death, crucifixion. I know it's so distant from our mind. We need to fight this fiercely. Not, I really hope I can be better. We need to crucify the desires of the flesh with its passions, with its desires, walk in the spirit, walk by the spirit. The message is clear. We've been given a new heart. We're new creatures in Christ. We must simply choose to live in the new and to put to death the old, to crucify the flesh and to walk in the fruit of the spirit. And you'll know if you're doing this by the fruit you're producing. I didn't read it, but Fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. That's a big one when it comes to the subject of coveting and lust. Self control. If you don't have any self control, you're not walking in the Spirit because a fruit of the Spirit is self control. For some of you, this is all too real. For some of you, the lion is still sitting in the corner. I encourage you, take action. Crucify the flesh. Smash it out before it has you in its grasp. And for some of you, you feel like it already does. You don't feel like you're in complete control anymore. And you're not sure how to get out. And if you're serious about putting sin to death in your life, then get proactive. Don't just hope to be better. Don't just kind of have this vague desire, vague wish to be better. Take action. And one way that you can do that is to get help, to get help, get help. We're meant to stand together as brothers and sisters in Christ, to pray for one another, to confess our sins to one another. I encourage you to do that. You can come to me and, or any of the pastors here and the church. Find a brother or sister in your small group that you trust. Confess your sins. Pray for each other. Have them pray for you. Take rooting this out of your life serious. Jesus does take it serious number three sorry that's number two number three if you can't fight it cut it out if you can't fight it cut it out if you don't have control if you don't have self-control cut it out of your life when we walk by the spirit and we're putting to death the, the desires of our flesh that means not doing all the things that we want to do you need to be willing to cut things out of your life Take serious what you do with your hands and what you see with your eyes. That means maybe, probably shouldn't be watching all of the latest Netflix series that are coming out just because everyone else is watching it. If we, if you know, hey, you know what, there's things in that show that are gonna challenge me. There's things in that show that are gonna, they're not good for my heart. They're not good for my heart, probably shouldn't watch it. And honestly, that goes for any media, even a lot of music today, you have to be a bit cautious. I'm not saying you should only listen to Christian music. Don't believe in that. That's not necessarily the case. There is good music out there that you can listen to uh, within the Christian and non and secular uh, realms. But if there's something that you're listening to that you're allowing to be put into your mind, put into your heart, that you think mm, this, is, this could be a catalyst. This could be something that leads me to thinking in thoughts or wrong thoughts or coveting thoughts or any sin. Cut it out of your life. Maybe that means not having a smartphone anymore, as I mentioned. Better to live to the glory of God with a flip phone than to be on the road to hell with the latest smartphone. Amen. Be careful. It's your choice what you choose to look at. And if you feel like, you know what, I'm not sure if I have control over this particular thing, this particular time in my life, cut it out. Maybe that means when you're on the internet when you're you, you just can't be on the internet when you're alone. make sure, be be around people do your do your work uh, in public places when it's possible. I know it's like the worst time for that with everything going on in the world, but be wise, be wise about it. It's your choice, what you choose to look at, and when you do come to those moments when you unintentionally maybe hear something, maybe see something. Obviously, we live in a world that is filled with things that can affect us, affect our mind. Put it to death right away. Put it to death right away. Like, mm, man, I really regret that I, that I just saw that. Father, forgive me. Help me to keep my heart pure. Help me to keep my mind pure. I want to be focusing focusing on you, and that's the best way to do that, is by focusing your love, your desire, your attention, your affections in the right Direction. Here's another quote I found that I really liked on that topic. Lust. Lust is the futile attempt to obtain the blessings that only come from diligence, duty, self-denial, and above all, delight in God above all things. There is a blessing when we delight in the Lord. And all of the sins of the flesh are just corrupt versions trying to imitate that. But it will never ever satisfy. So, next point, number four, avoid the dark, avoid the dark. And this also kind of goes more with that, uh, be careful where you're on the internet. Maybe it's best to not do it when you're alone if you struggle with that. But I would also add to that not having secrets. And if you're married here, that definitely applies to you. Uh, You should not have uh, big secrets from your spouse. Uh, My wife has all the passwords to all my devices. I I never would, I never want to have like places in my life or places that I could build like hiding places from her. And so you need to be wise about that. And if you're married, I think that's especially true. Uh, but it's also good to just have people in your life, even if you're not married, that know about you, know your struggles, know the things that you that you kind of fight with, and know your secrets. I mean, I've, I've said it before, I mean, we as the elders here in the church, we we have times where we, keep, we hold each other accountable, we confess to one another, we, have, we, we try to have an openness with one another so that there's no secret places in our life. We won't, we don't, Man, the devil loves those places, those dark places that we try to create in our life. That's where the seed that he plants can really grow its, at its best. So try to just eliminate those out of your life. It's not going to solve the problem completely, but... Uh, I, there There will be less room then again for the enemy to plant seeds, and I think when we 're shedding light into dark areas of our life, uh, it just makes the struggle a little bit easier on us now before you start feeling like it maybe is hopeless for you, maybe you think about all these things and think man i, I don 't know i 'm still fighting with this i don 't know and that seems like a big like a big ticket to try and, and take this on in my life and or maybe it 's something you have been fighting with for a long time. I want to remind you that it is impossible to hold, to hold yourself to the standard that Jesus is giving us on your own. It's impossible. Without possessing, I would say a good thing to kind of bring us back to the Sermon on the Mount is the attributes of the Beatitudes. You need a changed heart. Something has to be new in you. You have to become something before you can go and do something. Before we can live for Christ, we need to be changed Our hearts, we need to be given a new heart where the law of God is written on our heart. For example, there's no way that you can actively be rooting sin out of your life if you're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I want to live righteous, and I hunger for it. I thirst for it. So I want to do everything I can to get rid of anything that would be counter to that. And it's only through Jesus Christ that we're given this new heart. It is only through Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit that we can hope to have the strength to live righteous to the glory of God. We're not perfect, but we are being perfected, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We always have to come back to that when it comes to battling sin. But we wanna battle it with fierceness, not simply be like, well, I don't know. I'll just wait till I just change one day. We need to take action but know that we need Christ as well. And that desire to change is a gift of him, is a gift from the Lord in itself. We want to be having this driving force within us that comes from a new heart that propels us to change, even at great cost to ourselves, Even at great cost to ourselves. And with you it's impossible, but you're not alone. You're not alone, Jesus is our strength, and he knows our struggle. He's been tempted with everything that we have been tempted with. And he will always allow for a way out, no matter what the temptation might be. First Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except, that, except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. And if he is your goal, if loving him, a desire for him, glorifying him, loving him, and being obedient to him is your goal, if this is your aim, then through him it will always be possible to actively root sin out of your life. And it's a good thing to have desire. It's desire in itself is a good thing. So focus that desire, that God-given desire and that love and that affection in the right direction towards Christ. And when you are gazing upon Jesus, be amazed at who he is. Be amazed at how much he loves you and cares for you even though you are a wretched sinner. We are all wretched sinners. We are in need of a savior. We are in need of a transformation. But through Christ's we are continually being transformed, turned toward him. And your heart will grow to love him more and to be obedient to him in all things. I'm invite the band to come up as we begin to close. And let me just close with this, that the same Jesus that looks at you, he sees the sin in your heart and he calls you a sinner. He says, yes, lust is a sin. Looking at pornography, it's a sin. Coveting after things is a sin. It's sin what you're doing. This is the same Jesus that we then look to and say, yeah, I know, and I am a sinner, and I need salvation found in you alone. I need your grace. I need you. I can't do it alone. And then that same Jesus looks to us and says, though your sin might be scarlet, though you are a wretched sinner, I will make you white as snow. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that you give us the tools to battle sin and to battle it fiercely. I pray, Father, that our hearts are continually transformed and turned toward you and that we may walk in the spirit, crucifying the desires of the flesh, that we may glorify you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. How about you now to stand as we close with us?